Support for today's episode of the Sidebar Podcast is made possible in part thanks to Outlandish Tales of Fancy and the new Bigfoot movie. Bigfoot, the movie, starring Javier Bardem as Bigfoot. We think it's like Transformers meets Rambo First Blood, we think. And we released it in Spanish, so it qualifies for an Oscar. Bigfoot is just a guy trying to get by when, bam, gout cancer. Foot gout cancer of the foot. Now Bigfoot is in a race against time as he navigates the forest and infections and the foot-trapping traps of John Hamm, who plays Ham Trap, the Bigfoot hunting ham that's hot on the heels of Javier Bardem as Bigfoot. Bigfoot's mom was an alien baby dumped from space who landed on her head then mated with a beaver and gave birth to Bigfoot, the alien beaver baby with a big foot. See Javier Bardem as Bigfoot in Bigfoot the movie. He's got a boot. And he's not even Canadian. You're at home making your famous chicken salad for the Pinewood Derby race. Welcome to the sidebar. I'm Sebastian Morales, filling in for Clint Myers Novak, who is currently on a pogo stick hopping his way across the Yucatan Peninsula. Thrasher is a skateboarding magazine which consists of skateboard and music-related articles, photography, interviews, and skate park reviews. Our guest today is a frequent contributor to Thrasher with his monthly article, Around the World in Skatey Days, a skating travel blog. Gaza DeVitt, former Buddhist, tech deck enthusiast, Welcome to the sidebar. Yeah, man, it's uh, pretty good for us to connect, eh? Glad the, uh, the time difference worked out. I've been all around the world, still can't figure that out, but uh, yeah. So where are you coming to us from? Well, uh, I grew up in uh, Sydney, but I'm currently on the, uh, on the Gold Coast up north. Just wanted to get it a bit warmer over the, uh, over the winter. And are you there for business or pleasure? What are you doing right now? Oh, a bit of both. It's good that I can combine um, skating, uh, which is my passion, obviously, uh, but as make it work. So up here in the Gold Coast, going to check out the surf, uh, check out some of the, uh, the the big skate parks they got up here. So you've been on uh, the tour, on the Australian tour. Uh, you skate and you cover the tour. Uh, tell me what's going on now. What? Tell me about some of the skaters. Tell me about uh, what your article this week is is is, 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 is landing this week, I believe. Yeah, it's a big time for um, skating in Australia. Picked up uh, popularity over the last couple of years. And uh, we've got this hot new young skater, actually, um, John Fletcher Herdman. He's actually uh, actually from South Africa originally, but we kind of adopted him. And uh, he's just been really, like, tearing it up on the local circuit. Started down in, um, in Sydney, worked his way up the, um, the central coast. And um, he's getting ready for the uh, big tournament in, in uh, Townsville in a couple of weeks. And, um, yeah, I reckon he's going to thrash it, mate. And obviously he goes by Herdy, and Herdy has a very interesting background. He used to herd mountain goats. Yeah, Herdy from uh, South Africa. His uh, family were, were goat farmers for generations, mm-hmm. and um, as far as I know, no skating over there. Um, so I'm not sure how he got into it. Uh, maybe he got his hands on, on, on the internet um, when, he went into, when he went into Cape Town, something like that. Checked it out, thought, this looks better than herding goats, I tell you what. Made the move over here, and now he's killing it in the skate parks. And there are actually two or three different skaters that have herding backgrounds. So it seems that there are a lot of the same techniques that go into herding that go into skating. 
Yeah, I think it's maybe a balance thing. Like those hurts, they don't want to be herded. Those goats, sorry, they don't they don't want to be herded. They'll they'll buck you around. They'll try and push you over. And that's kind of like uh, it's like the skate park. I mean, it's a beautiful place to be the skate park, but it's unforgiving as well. Those rails, those dips, those bowls, they're gonna try and throw you off like a like a goat. So I think that's maybe where it comes from. Now you have a scapegoat on tour, uh, not to be confused with the scapegoat. Uh, the scapegoat is essentially there to warm up the crowd. He's a mascot, and if he has to, he'll headbutt somebody right out of the arena. Now, uh, famously in the outback and uh, where the region that you're talking about, uh, especially with herding, there are no uh, really empty swimming pools to skate in. There's there's gorges, there are mountains, there there's divots. Uh, what is regional about the training there? Because you write about it and you say, uh, you know, uh, skating in a gorge. If you can skate in a gorge, you can skate anywhere. Or gorge, you could skate anywhere. Yeah, the, um, the Flinders Ranges, it's kind of like the, uh, the mecca of uh, skating in Australia and South Australia. People will travel. People will travel for days to get there in the outback. And it's, it's just like a massive, beautiful, natural bowl. And it's... It's it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for your beginner skater. It's it's for the it's for the it's for the passionate the the people that pursue this. It's their life. Like you might die in that bowl, but that's the that's the risk that you know skaters are willing to take. So people have died in the bowl. I'd say about thirty percent of those escape in the Flinders Ranges don't come back. But they sign a waiver. They know what they're getting into. Yeah, I mean. I don't read it myself, but there's legal schmeagle that the state of South Australia makes sure they're covered. Now, tell me about uh, some other obscure skating scenes around Australia uh, or around the world. What what have you seen around the world where you, you've seen youths skating, professionals, and you've said, I have never seen that before? Yeah, I've been on to some, uh, some pretty interesting skating trips. Probably one of my favorites was in, uh, in Fiji. Um, you, take a, you take a five-hour boat ride out to the Yasawa Islands, and uh, there they have um, what's called... Uh, I call it carver skating. They ha- they have a they they call it bulla bulla, but um it's a, it's what you do is you drink a lot of carver. It's this 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 natural root that gets you like pretty turnt, mate. I'm not gonna lie. It's this ground root. You you mix it up with some water. You drink it, and they take the palm fronds and they slide down these um like these sandbanks, and you just get high as and you skate down these sandbanks, and it's just it's just nature and skating and brotherhood all coming together as one. And that's worked its way into the professional circuit. Now, they're trying this as sort of an exhibition, but it might take into a full event, and there are Olympic aspirations for it. Yeah, definitely. And um, Carver's been been one of our big sponsors the last two seasons on the skate tour. Um, obviously, you're probably familiar with Red Bull and some of those, but uh, Carver, they're, they're making a big way in the Australian scene with their uh, with their energy drink. And it does. It's not technically considered a, a drug yet in Australia, yet to be uh, determined as so. So, yeah, we're just kind of riding that wave while it's while it's still happening. Now, uh, tell me about the X Games. Tell me about how you used to cover the X Games, uh, the the uh, the youth X Games, the juvenile X Games. It was your the Australian version, uh, very different um, rudimentary uh, apparatuses. Uh, Decks, grips, skins, stuff like that. Yeah, so we start them young um, in Australia. We're not too not too worried about uh, letting them grow up. If they're old enough to stand, they're old enough to skate. So 
the Junior X Games got different divisions. We got the under threes, we got the under fours, and uh, same equipment though, same half pipe. We send them out onto the, the same half pipe that the adults do, and we just let them rip. You wouldn't believe these little kids, mate. They're so low to the ground. Just their, their balance, it's unbelievable. They're pulling off, you know, people were blowing their minds when they saw Tony Hawk pull off a 900. Mm-hmm. I saw a four-year-old do a 1080. A 1080 over a roo. Now, over a roo, yeah. Now tell me about the roo run. People don't understand how difficult the roo run is, to be honest. Kangaroos, mate, they can jump over 20 feet in the air. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're a serious obstacle. And these kids, they got to weave their way in and out of the roo. They're on, the, they're, they're on both the half pipe and the street section. So you might have to kick it onto a grind, pass the roux onto the next trick. So that adds another difficulty that other countries aren't experiencing in their skate tournaments. And how do you think that could translate uh, to to the international circuit? Uh, you obviously cannot, you have a goat, but you can't transport a roux, uh, maybe some sort of mechanical roux. Tell me about the strategy of hurting a roux and how Hurdy got into hurting the roux and how Hurdy hurt himself hurting roux. Yeah, you wouldn't think you'd be able to do it, mate. It's pretty much impossible. But I think what the Ruse really expected in, in Hurdy was just the raw skating ability. Like most people, when they're trying to hurt a Ruse, the Ruse just have no respect for you. I mean, these Ruse, they weigh 300 pounds, all right? They could knock out Mike Tyson in his prime. But they see Hurdy on the half pipe and they go, you know what? If he wants me to get in the tent, I'll get in the fucking tent. Now, you came up in the uh, skating zine culture. Uh, when did you start in that uh, very underground magazine? Uh, you came up uh, sort of creating your own zines, and that's sort of how you got on Thrasher's radar and, and you worked your way up from the three-year-old circuit to the four-year-old circuit to now the adult circuit. Um, tell me about your contributions to the zines. Yeah, for sure, man. So, like, at school, I wasn't really much of, like, a, an academic type, I guess you'd say. And uh, I was in, like, year nine math class, and... Uh, uh, I was just doodling, just doodling some sick tricks, to be honest. And uh, Elijah next to me said, oh, those are some pretty dope, pretty dope sketches you got there. Like, what's them for? I'm like, what do you mean? What's it for, mate? It's so I don't have to listen to Mrs. Cunningham drone on about math. He goes, well, maybe you could do something with them. I thought maybe I could. So uh, I came up with my own skate comic, started putting um, sketches together mm-hmm. of, uh, of just sick tricks and started sharing around the school and... Um, really only the other like two or three kids that skated were really interested in it, but, um, it was a pretty, it was a pretty good publication. It was a pretty good way to get into the, the whole, um, skate journalism scene. And what was the name of the skate comic? What was the character? Uh, it was just called Skate 9000. Skate 9000. And I am not much of a comics fan. Uh, my children were into comics, but you know, as some of our listeners know, I lost all of them to senseless gang violence in separate incidents. So I try not to read anything that has cartoons in it, animation, sounds, words, colors, sketches, pictures. Other than that, I'm very well versed and I'm trying to be versed in skating. Now tell me about some proprietary tricks that you've seen on the tour. Some proprietary tricks. Yeah, so um Michael Nevitt, he's a bit of a he's a bit of a Inventor, he's he's pretty innovative in the skating scene. Um, he's really in the fishing, right? So mm-hmm. he came up with this new trick called the fishing pole. So he'll go off. It needs to be a big ramp, big half pipe, at least a twenty-four footer to do the trick. He'll go up in the air. He'll come off the board and he'll pose as if he's reeling in a fish, 
like a big one too. We're talking like a blue marlin. He'll be up there. He'll get mad hang time, latch back onto the board, stick the landing. And what's interesting about that move is you can actually tell what fish he's reeling in even though there is no actual fish. For instance, uh, last week, bluefish. The week before, uh, grouper. Totally. Yeah, just for the fishing enthusiasts because, you know, you got to play to the audience and there's a big crossover between... Uh, fishes and skaters so they really appreciate the level of detail that he goes into when enacting out the fishing and they know they go you know what he's up in northern Queensland right now and uh, he's pulling in a big mackerel and he's actually on the big bass fishing tour as well and that's where he harnesses his moves now people don't usually uh, equate fishing with skating but they they translate pretty pretty seamlessly yeah, you've got to have some balance in your life, mate. I mean, you know, skating's pretty full on and you can only redline it for so long. So you've got to balance that out with some more chill hobbies. There's a lot of downtime in fishing. There's a lot of free time for you to think about tricks. Just kind of get at peace with yourself because skating is pretty full on. It takes a toll on your body. So it's good for your muscles just to rock about in the ocean. Get that salt water on your skin which will help with all the uh, all the gravel rashes and really just kind of balance you out, get you ready for the upcoming skate season. Now, and also in downtime, uh, a lot of the skaters, you like to invent new sports in a way. Uh, you know, this skater that uh, that fishes actually brought his fishing boat onto the, onto the vert, put wheels on it, tried to ollie it, didn't work. Nah, it was just too heavy, mate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, rest in peace to Gary McFarlane. But um, it's an innovative way to go. It was, yeah, it was the talk of the 2016 season. That's for sure. Uh, you know, I suppose with skating, you go harder, you go home. Tell me about uh, some domestic uh, skating sites uh, near New York, Philly, Los Angeles. How do they compare to the international scene? Yeah, you got some pretty good uh, skaters over here in uh, in America, LA. You got good skating weather year round, which is which is really helpful. You got a lot of lot of uh, surfers as well, and the, the two really help. Uh, uh, they go hand in hand. So I've got a lot of respect for the LA um, surfers. Um, New York man, they got a very different attitude. They're very they're very to the point. They're very direct. I mean, they don't mess around when it comes to the, the skate course. I mean, especially on the street, especially on the street section. If you're if you're competing for the same grind, you know, and there's a, there's a there's a fella from New York, you're not going to get on that same grind, all right? Because there there's a lot of people in a tight space in New York, and they fight for the tricks that they want, and they're not going to give it up. Tell me about street skating as opposed to competition skating. Yeah, street skating, it's, it's a lot different in that there's a lot of people in the same area at the same time. And uh, I guess perhaps the, the, the street system in LA, it's kind of all over the place. Whereas New York skaters, it's, they're in grids. New York skaters are all about right angles, all right? They're going straight, they're going left, they're going right. LA skaters, you've got no idea what they're going to do. What separates them from a Philly skater? Philly skate. Philly skaters tend to be on the heavy side. I'm not sure what that is. Haven't been to Philly myself. That's on my um, on my bucket list of, of U.S. domestic cities to check out the skating. But um, I've heard their cheesesteaks are pretty good, and uh, a lot of bigger guys, a lot of big tough guys um, from the from the Philly skate scene don't mess around. That's for sure. Uh, now you spend some time in Tokyo. Now tell me about the Japanese skate scene. 
Yeah, mate. I've got to go to some pretty good places, eh? And Japan's got to be near the top of that list. And uh, obviously you got Tokyo and all that good stuff. But um, I wanted to get out, get out into the nature, into the mountains, and really experience it. And I wanted to go to a temple, right? My, my, some of my friends told me about this temple. And uh, I brought my board, but you can't skate up there. It was pretty brutal. I mean, it was pretty... Like, I grew up in Australia, but I'll tell you what, this was pretty humid, eh? So I take my board up there and I get to this temple and people like looking at these statues and stuff. But you know what I'm looking at? These stairs. Now, these are like 900 year old stairs. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, the tricks. Imagine imagine your your favorite trick and then pulling that off on some 900 year old stairs, mate. Well, I'm imagining falling down a flight of 900 year old stairs. Uh, I don't know if I would survive that. I mean, I'm not a skater. But, but did you try it? Oh, yeah, man. I was having the time of my life. I was throwing some McFlippies. I was throwing the the, the, the back four twenties, and uh, the locals were looking at me funny, mate. I I don't think they have much of an appreciation for skating culture because I was actually removed from the temple. Uh, they called in some security, and look, I don't want to say it was like a racial thing, but um, it probably was. Here's here's the setup. You tried to organize. You're a former Buddhist. You tried to organize a Buddhist skating tour. It didn't work out. I don't want to compare it to the fire festival, but you did have some big names that were attached. It didn't work out. You came out unscathed. You didn't take a monetary bath. There's no jail time, but you are being subpoenaed as uh, as a witness in this case. Yeah, well, look, to be honest, it's tougher putting together an event than you might think. And there's a lot of variables that I wasn't in control of, to be fair. To myself. Just to specify, this is in Nepal. So yeah, this is in Nepal, and we had some big names. We had uh, Tony Hawk, Sean White, Bucky Lazic, uh, Herdy, um, Katy Perry. So we had sort of like a just like a real good group of people that that were committed to this. And you know, I'm not a Buddhist myself, but from like what I've read, they should totally embrace the skating culture. It's about being one, being in touch with yourself, being in touch with nature. But apparently we violated a lot of local laws uh, with the festival. And I think that's where things started to go wrong. Well, the problem is uh, there wasn't adequate electricity. There wasn't adequate an adequate food source. Uh, they all took a vow of silence. So it's very hard to communicate uh, if you don't speak the language and they don't speak. Now, uh, introducing skating to Buddhists and Buddhist monks is uh, an adventure in itself. Now, how... How did you go about doing that or, or attempting to do that? Yeah, well, we were sort of prepared. Normally when you go on a skate trip, you got your backpack and you got some snacks in it. So I had a backpack with snacks. Uh, I thought the, uh, the guests were going to do the same, but apparently we were supposed to provide food to the guests. So that was, that was a little bit of a mistake uh, on the food front. Um, in terms of uh, uh, solving that problem, we went to the locals and um, they did have a food source um, of goats uh, but most of the, the sort of high-end American uh, and European guests that have paid $5,000 a ticket, they weren't really too keen on eating goat. Um, Herdy especially was particularly offended, and that kind of created the rift between uh, us and the locals. Well, that's the thing is that um, there, everybody has a dietary uh, regiment, sort of, and you didn't adhere to that. You, were, you didn't provide for vegetarians. You didn't provide for vegans pescatarians uh just goat just goat and uh people got sick and there was the the bathroom situation's a little different there um 
Is that correct? Is that am I Addy? Is any of this right, Addy? You know, Addy is just back in the studio and she's just recovering. Um, so I, you know, we don't know. We're it's like a charity case here at the sidebar. Yeah, our thoughts go out to Addy. Um, but to answer your question, I think a lot of people thought the skate bowl was a shared toilet. And that's both not sanitary and not great for the skating competition itself not, no, either. No, no, and it's not a great place to stage uh, catering at all, as you've learned. Yeah, we didn't have space for uh, two separate areas, skating and catering. Um, it was just one area that we called skatering. Mm-hmm. And so that was a mess. Uh, now, let me tell you, you, there were some other acts that were invited that you lost track of blink 182 they dropped out of the fire festival because they signed up for your tour and they also were dropped into nepal and then they were lost now we don't know where travis barker is is that is that correct yeah and we did go out looking for him like to be fair to those in the festival it's just that skateboards aren't really good for that sort of rocky terrain so we did move very slowly and did that hinder our attempt at finding Blink-182? Sure. But the point is, we did the best that we could under the circumstances. Now, one of the things that you did to try to find them was sing their songs out loud and hope that they would reciprocate from uh, up top in the, in the mountains. Didn't work. No. I'm not sure if they uh, if they were able to hear us. We, we did give it a fair crack. Um, to be honest, we only knew so many Blink-182 songs, so that did sort of morph into Avril Lavigne and some other um, skater classics. But, you know, we, we think the Blink-182, if they could have heard us, they would have responded to, to Avril. They did find a homing beacon on Travis Barker's skateboard. Um, and you were able to recover the skateboard, but no Travis. Yeah, and that skateboard's worth a lot of money too. So it wasn't a total loss. Um, not saying it's worth more than Travis himself, but... You know, currently on a website where the the, uh, the, the top bid is uh, twenty nine hundred. So if you're interested, um, just go to uh, thrashermagazine.com and get yourself a sick board. Oh, that's not bad. And that, and uh, all the proceeds go to Travis's family. Oh, that's a good idea, eh? I think it's a great idea. Um, now tell me about the Dalai Lama and herding. Now you you heard he tried to teach the Dalai Lama how to herd. Yeah, the the Dalai Lama he. Uh, he, he was just at like one with the goats. He was at one with the board. He's a real natural at whatever you, you introduced to him, to be honest. Like we just sang Skater Boy once and he could repeat it note for note the second we were done. And he even took it so far as to dress like Agro Levine as he was hurting the goats. Yeah, a couple of days later, I hit on her, eh? I uh-huh. thought, Avril showed up. Nah, it was the Dalai Lama. It was the Dalai Lama. Uh, Dalai Lama skater boy. Uh, now, when he's hurting these goats, it, what I think what people don't understand is the Dalai Lama is a natural athlete. Uh, now, tell me about some of his feats of strength that aren't known uh, around the world. He keeps it pretty, pretty close to the cuff, the Dalai Lama, but he can lift just as much as uh, an Iron Man. He can run almost as fast as Usain Bolt. And he can uh, slam a root beer, I don't know, faster than you or I. Yeah, the Dalai Lama, yeah, let me tell you, like, I'm, I was never a spiritual person until I met him. 
myself, because uh, he what he can do will really sort of test test your understanding of the human's capability. Because at the event, we brought in a, a mechanical roux. All right, we wanted to, we want with this is going to be the biggest, the best tournament we've had all year. So biggest biggest roux on tour we had nine hundred pounder, shot out flames. Roos don't really do that, but you got to turn it up for the biggest event of the year. Sure. Things went a little wrong, fell over, crushed a couple skaters. We thought, well, that's it, they're done for. But then in comes the Dalai Lama. I, I thought it was Avraline, but it was the Dalai Lama. And he just lifts it up. This is 900 pounds, all right? A 900-pound roux just whoosh, cleaned it over his head. He only needed to lift it about a foot just so the skaters could wriggle out. But he threw it over his head just to make a point. You know, when I was a young boy in Chile, uh, a rabid chupacabra tore through our village, 900-pounder, uh, and just ravaged our food supply. Yeah, look, mate, I've been over, all over the world, and I've heard similar stories in every country, but uh, but not in Nepal. You know why they don't have a chupacabra? I do not. Because even if they did, Dalai Lama would just take care of it. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, the Dalai Lama's Chupacabra and caffeine-infused sponsors. Staging an attack for personal gain is never a good look, especially if it's in your underwear. Luckily, there's Your Diapies, America's number one adult brand adult diaper. Your Diapies erases your bit part from the remainder of the season so you can stay home and stay unemployed and stay dry. And with 20,000 pockets of flavor crystals sewn into the 13,000 pockets we told you were there, you'd be more ironic than Jussie Smollett attending a Pinocchio convention to not try your diapies. So come on, what are you waiting for? An apology to Robin Roberts and Rosa Parks and civil rights? We didn't think so. So better yourself out and go buy your diapies today. Your diapies adult brand adult diapers. For when other diapers won't do. Support for the Sidebar Podcast is also made possible thanks to the hosts of the 91st Annual Academy Awards, no-show socks and Academy gift bags in boxes sponsored by Airbox, and ball drop tea bags by Tedley Tea, the only tea bag that saves steep time by cutting four categories, then adding those categories back in when they're met by an overwhelmingly sharp bitterness. And it's the only tea bag that ships in bags and boxes in boxes, then puts those boxes inside of nominee gift bags, inside of boxes in boxes in boxes, in a box, in a box, in a box, in a box. Airbox and the Oscars and no-show socks that are lightweight and ball up easily, so you can crumble them tight and stick them in that long-winded actor's acceptance speech hole, which. Sounds in a vacuum, on a squawk box, in a 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 box. And we're back with Gaza DeVitt. From Thrasher Magazine, the article, Around the World in Skaty Days, a skating travel blog. Now, how often do you post on the blog compared to your monthly contribution to the magazine? Yeah, I try to get up uh, as much as I can, but um, sometimes I just get too into me skating mm-hmm. and I forget about it. And uh, 
Um, my boss calls me up and he says, Gazza, mate, we haven't heard from you in like three weeks. And I'm like, I've missed my flight home. So that can be a bit of a, an issue, just balancing my skating life with my professional life. So your skating life isn't your professional life. Your skating life is actually, there's a, a line in the sand. Now tell me about, what about your personal life? Is there, is there a difference between skating and uh, family? Is, is family life or skating life? To be honest, my family doesn't really get my skating. That you know, you know, my in the skating community, I'm known as Gazza. All right, but my parents they still call me Gary, and I hate it. But that's just the way it is. I'm Gazza, and I'm Gary. At home, I got to be Gary. I got to leave the skating aside because they just don't understand it. Well, there's been a lot of discrimination against Garys lately. Now, what is it about the name Gary that just draws ire from the older generation? I think it came around in the 80s. Um, a lot of high school comedies, the villain in the film tended to be named Gary. It became a bit of a stereotype, and Gary's to this day are still being persecuted based on those films. Is it because they part their hair a certain way? No. I always found Gary's parts to be a little offensive. Yeah, I mean, right down the middle, it really unsettles people. You know, people will come up to me and they'll say, pick a side, mate, and, you know... It's the Switzerland of haircuts. It's the Switzerland of haircuts. Now, uh, a part down the middle is a little schoolboyish, and when you get older, you just need to shave that head. Now, you have a shaved head. You also have changed your name, sort of. You go by Gaza, and it seems that everybody on the tour has a nickname. Yeah, totally. Like, I, I shave my head to, to get away from that, that perception, and it's it's perhaps moved me away from those films and and into sort of a skinhead kind of stereotype, which is not really what I was going for. I was more going for aerodynamics on the big tricks. Mm-hmm. That's why I shaved my head. But, um, yeah, people people in the skating community, they, they just accept you, mate. They say, you're a part of us, and to signify that, we're going to give you a nickname. So is, is that a problem, um, confusion between uh, skinheads and anti-Semitics and the skating community? Do they often get mistaken from one another? Yeah, and uh, I'm one of the big skate brands uh, called Empire, who's actually one of my sponsors. Um, their logo, and I've got to make this clear, is not a swastika, okay? Uh, it does look kind of similar, but I think if you look at it closely, it's actually reversed, which is the opposite of a swastika, if I'm being honest. So when people say, you're anti-Semitic, I'm like, no, I'm Semitic. Well, you know, one of the first skating uh, brands that you worked for professionally, um, you didn't know was actually uh, associated with the Aryan Union, and you had thought that well, they have all of the accoutrement, they have uh, stickers, and they have uh, sweatshirts. Usually, you know, a hooded sweatshirt is like a peace offering in the skate community. Uh, a really well designed logo. Um, and how long did you work for them before you realized what you had gotten into, and how did you get your way out of it? Yeah, so I was probably with the Aryan Union for about um, six years. And what people don't know about the uh, skate community is they actually have quite good um, labor laws. They've got strong unions. I thought you were going to say health insurance. Yeah, that comes with health insurance too, mate, because it's pretty important. Aryan unions, a union's a union. Well, so that's what I thought, you know, because this was before I did a lot of my travels. So I thought um, Aryan um, was just a, a city in Germany. So when they said, did I want to join the union? I said, I need these benefits for my skate, uh, my skating career. So I, I signed up right away. Well, if you spell it A-I-R, it almost sounds like a skating tour. 
but it is not, as you found out. And it was a harrowing escape. You took down an Aryan empire, and you built a skating empire on top of it. Yeah, so I was with the with the, the Union for a long time, and um, there was a certain point where they, they built up a, a big complex, and uh, it was a great place for skate, skating, a lot of good stairs, a lot of good rails, uh, a swimming pool, um, that we were all coming up with uh, excuses to, to have it drain so we could get uh, get some tricks in. Um, but when they wouldn't let me leave, that's when I started to get um, a bit suspicious. And it was only because of my skating background that I was actually able to escape the complex. Uh, I actually did a pretty fat ollie onto a nose grind onto what was a, a building barrier uh, mm. of two by fours over the uh, the barbed wire fence to escape the complex. So, you know, if it wasn't for skating, you know, I might not be alive to this day. And luckily, uh, they were manufacturing skateboards in the complex, and luckily the entire complex was made out of cement and had just endless amounts of pools. So really, you can trick your way out of there uh, if you really have the proper training. And you did, of course, and you wrote about it, and it's actually uh, your best-selling book, Escape from Pitch Mountain. Yeah, Escape from Pitch Mountain, it, it really put me on the map. And look, to be honest, I can't defend a lot of things that they've done, but uh, that was probably the best six years of my life. Well, I mean, that's where you met your first wife. Yeah, um, Shonda. Shonda, you know, beautiful, beautiful woman, great skater, to be honest. I mean, the women's, the women's circuit doesn't get the recognition that, they, that it deserves. Mm-hmm. I mean, surely they only spin around half as many times as the men do, but three still pretty good. Well, she was uh, a ferocious bigot, and she's currently uh, where she, she's behind bars, and she's starting the uh, prison skate circuit, Aryan prison skate circuit. Yeah, I mean, it was a different time, to be honest. It was the mid-2000s, and um, I didn't really notice at the time how, like, horrifically racist some of the things she was saying was. Um, so I've apologized to certain members of certain communities since then um, on behalf of my marriage with Shonda, but I think she's turning things around. She's behind bars. She's paying a debt to society, and um, she's also making some pretty pretty good skaters out of those prison members. And now her nickname is White Fury. Now tell me about... Uh suspected cocaine trafficking through skateboard uh through the prison skateboard circuit yeah so i thought her nickname was uh because of uh, her uh, cocaine business and look i'm a fan of all stimulants if it helps you hit the biggest tricks um possible um uh apparently there was some some racial connotations to that nickname as well which um in hindsight does seem obvious um but yeah, she was one of the biggest uh, biggest uh, dealers on tour. She traveled the world because all all um, this isn't just you know limited to Australian um, skaters. This was not just an Australian only scandal. Um, she was dealing to skaters all around the world. And do you think that's an unfair advantage for the skaters? Not at all, because they're all doing it, mate. It's like so if they're all doing it, then nobody's doing it. Totally. Now, one of the things they do in prison, they put the workers to use, is making apparel, skate apparel. Now, tell me about your background with skate apparel, sort of what you're working on. Um, Signature shoe, you have a signature shoe coming out, the Gaza Strip. Yeah, so I was... uh... I got into uh, making my own apparel uh, back in high school, went along with my my comic, um, Skate 9000, and uh, I just take clothes that I, I didn't have money to manufacture my own clothes. 
But uh, I just take clothes that I already had and I just draw big dicks on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because, yeah, we were 14, you know, and we, we all thought it was pretty funny, eh? Um, and so I tried to sell my shoes um, with, with big dicks on them and um, didn't really catch on. But uh, a couple of years later, once I made a bit of, bit of a name for myself um, on the tour, um, the big dick shoes really started to take off. Well, you spell big dicks with three X's and you actually caught the attention of Vin Diesel when his movie was being released. Totally. Um, working on a new film with him, um, to be honest, we're gonna, we want that series to come back, but with a bit more of a, a focus on skating. Just a little known fact that people, that people need to be made aware of, and uh, we're actually coming out with a, a new um, uh, cut-off shorts line um, with, uh, with uh, some imagery from the original um, series. Well, it was instead of stealing cars, they were stealing skateboards. Yeah, which is... Um, pretty... in, sh- in short shorts. Totally. And that's very frowned upon in the community. I mean, I've slept with a number of other skaters' wives, and it's no biggie, mate. We're all just, we're all just part of the same community. But if you steal someone else's skateboard, that's, uh, that could be a matter of life or death. And was it a matter of life? Or was it a matter of death? Uh, in most cases, death. Um, it, is, it is agreed upon that if you steal someone's board, and you are caught stealing that board... Um, you were then put into a bowl, um, each with a board as your weapon, and you were to fight to the death, and the winner is the rightful owner of that board. And interestingly enough, that sport is called thrashing. Yeah, that's where the name of the, uh, the magazine came from. It was kind of the, the underground hardcore skate scene that said, you know, if you're willing to fight to the death over a board, you probably care enough about this to pay nine ninety five for a monthly magazine. And the sport actually predates wheels. So when it was originated, there were no wheels on the board. They were just boards, and they were just people smacking each other with boards. And uh, the winner would keep the board and would be the keeper of the board. Totally, yeah. And people would just um, take those boards, and they'd slide off down the victory hill, as it was known at the the time. Um, But in less hilly environments, um, the board was not as effective for getting away. And uh, little known fact, skaters actually invented the wheel. They did. Well, because how else would you skate if you didn't have a wheel? Now, how did that come about? A stone wheel, you're saying? The first wheel was made of stone or was it made of, was it made of wood? It would eventually be made of wood um, before that stone and before that bone. So you'd take the head of the person that you um, defeated in, in the thrashing competition and you'd attach his head um, to the board. Um, it was more effective once you'd collected four heads and uh, even more effective once we switched to a, a, a more perfect circle than the human skull. But um, you had to do what you had to do to get around in those days. Well, that's Viking technique, as uh, history will tell us. Now, I want to touch upon the T. Eddie Awards, which is a thrasher thing. Uh, but you put your own spin on it. And this is essentially everybody gets an award. In this day and age, everybody gets an award. So... Uh, you're the recipient uh, recipient of the Hot Chocolate Award. Now tell me about the Marshmallow Award. Tell me about uh, the Ronald McDonald Award. Goes on and on. Who's getting what out there? And really, what is the ranking of these awards? Is, uh, is the Cheeseburger Award the same as the uh, Martha Stewart Award? Yeah, it's a great question. Now... We do have a lot of awards. Um, they're not all the same, but they're, they're all valued. We want to ma- value all the members 
um, of our community. So everybody that places top 20 throughout the season um, gets an award for something that they have achieved. So, for example, the, um, the, the Popeyes Award goes to the spiciest trick of the year. So um, uh, Michael Nostrum, he came up with the, um, uh, the, the Secret 12 it's, uh, it's 12 spins off a half pipe. And so we gave him the, the Popeye's Award for the spiciest trick. Now, you actually have names for every fast food chicken brand. Who's the Jolly Bee? Jolly Bee. Well, that's got to go to my mate Davo. Um, Davo, he's just, he's just a gnarly cunt, eh? He's just, you know, he, you look at him, you watch him do his tricks, and you go, this, this might not be my favorite, but if it's what's what's available it's what's what's there at the time you're going to appreciate it now tell me about denny denny is the blandest rider he's not fried he's baked um the seasoning falls off almost every time he actually doesn't even uh drop in he's keeps it pretty flat now they keep denny on the circuit and nobody quite knows why why do you keep denny around yeah, so Denny's an interesting case. He's uh, he's uh, forty five years old. Um, he's actually an accountant um, for Coca Cola Amatil, and um, I'm pretty sure skating is the only thing stopping him from killing himself. So, even though we hate watching him and his tricks, so we just decided to give him the Denny Award and and hope that that keeps him alive till next season. And the Denny Award has actually gone viral in a way, and it, every workplace has a Denny. It seems. Uh, it seems that there's a Denny in your accountant's office at H&R Block. There's a Denny at the 7-Eleven that you work at. He's the guy that doesn't smile at your jokes, that get that picks the coldest taquito, and never refills the cold brew machine. Denny. Yeah, this this Denny Award's gone viral. Um, hashtag Denny. Um, and people are seeing Denny's uh, in their own workplace uh, all over the country, all over the world, and... I think it's really bringing the attention to, to skating. They, th- they think, if Denny can skate, so can I. And we welcome uh, the more skaters, the better. Right. And there are, there are guidelines for if you want to qualify in the Denny circuit. Now, there is uh, the up-and-coming Denny circuit is just big wheels, wide board. There's actually a chair on the board. You don't why stand, right? Denny gets tired. Denny's old. Denny might have... Um, Sciatica. Yeah, when we just had one Denny um, on the tour, um, it made sense. People thought, well, what's that? That's a bit different. But when you got a lot of Denny's, um, people start to want real skating. So we thought, well, we'll keep the skate tour and the Denny separate. And we came up with the Denny's only tour. Um, so on the Denny's only tour, um, you're going to find a lot of elbow pads, a lot of knee pads, uh, a lot of helmets, um, a lot of soft mats. Um, we actually roll. Uh, they actually skate on wrestling mats, um, just for extra safety. Because um, these people, these people do do need a certain extra amount of care. And um, we just listen to 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 light music. A lot of a lot of skaters like to get pumped up before they go out and skate. Listen to some hardcore. Listen to hip hop. Um, and uh, on the Denny tour, we're sponsored by Kenny G. Uh, we just want to keep everything chill. We just want to mm-hmm. keep everyone nice and relaxed. And when they hear the elevator music um, from their their uh, job at um, at H and R Block, I think that just makes them feel more at home, more comfortable, and uh, they're able to do their best riding. And you actually got our beloved researcher, the intern Addie Harper, onto the Denny tour to do some investigative reporting, and she managed to hurt herself. Now, how did that happen? 
Yeah, mate. To be honest, we took as many um, precautions um, as we could. Um, but Addie, um, sh- she's a special one. And uh, uh, hopefully she's covered by our, our union uh, benefits. Uh, but she was riding along and uh, she was uh, she was on a skateboard just going on, on a big wheeler. Uh, just going in a straight line um, at about three miles an hour. And uh, because a lot of the, the Denny participants are not that athletic, don't provide their own power, we just have a, a, a six-volt electric motor uh, in, in the skateboards on the Denny Tour, and mm-hmm. it caught on fire. Oh, it, uh, it, it, it erupted and it escalated quickly. Well, that's a problem because all of Addy's clothing is soaked in kerosene. Now, uh, working with photographers, now you're getting into videography... A lot of Thrasher now is online. Um, there's, uh, well, there's, there's outtake videos of, of the Denny tour. And sometimes uh, you have to let a Denny go. Sometimes a Denny doesn't cut it. How do you release Denny back into the wild, so to speak? Yeah, you got to do it softly, mate. Because you got to remember, a lot of these Dennys, they are on the edge. Very emotional Dennys. Yeah, often the Denny tour is the best part of their life, so you got to go about it uh, carefully. So I watched the movie uh, Up in the Air, mm-hmm. and uh, I thought, George Clooney, he's the guy to let him go. So uh, we bring in George Clooney, and uh, and he tells them that they're no longer on the Denny tour, and they're usually so starstruck by the fact that they're talking to George Clooney, they don't even realize that they're being let go from the Denny tour. Um, so when they do realize a couple weeks later, that might be bad, but... It's not our problem at that point. Well, at that point, um, they realize they're off the tour when the tour has moved on and they, they're just there in their hotel room or they're on the grounds. Essentially, you just leave the Denny behind and let him figure it out for himself. Pretty much. That would be, that would be an accurate assessment. Um, I haven't followed up with those, with those Denny's, um, but if any of those Denny's have any, any questions, um, feel free to send us like a quick gram. And George Clooney is a Denny herder. Now, how do you how does how do you herd the Denny's? Yeah, so he's done a lot of training. He's actually been to South Africa. He's been to Nepal to work with the with the goats. Mm-hmm. And if you can herd a goat, you can herd a Denny. They put up a lot less of a fight. They're they're a much easier herd. And so he's pretty much mastered those those herding techniques. And when you see him with those Denny's, it's it's like a magician. Well, he is he is an actor. Um, he's a trained professional. He has a house somewhere in Italy, I believe, so that's got to account for something. One last thing I want to talk about is just skate attitude. There's a certain, a certain frequency that skaters operate at that is just on a different plane than the rest of us here. But what is that? How do you get to that in-between, that in-between the chakra and your third eye, some sort of harmonious balance of the soul? Yeah, it's a great question, mate. There's generally two schools of thought on this. Um, the first one is a, more of a medical approach. Uh, I've taken a number of uh, tumbles over the years and spent a fair amount of time at the hospital. And uh, my doctor says I have what's called, uh, I believe in the industry, a broken amygdala. And I don't really uh, experience don't really experience um, stress or intensity at the way a, a regular person would. And that's why I'm uh, in not worried about going out and hitting these these big tricks over uh, over mountains in New Zealand just don't just don't fear it and um apparently I'm supposed to die within the age of uh, 39 that's what they're predicting but I don't really believe in that kind of science to be honest um I think it's just that I'm a free spirit I think it's just that the skaters understand that when you're on your board you're not doing math 
You're not having an argument with Lisa in HR. It's just you, the wind in your face, and the big flaming roux. And how old are you now? 37. 37. So the clock is ticking. And how do you uh, anticipate spending your, your final months, your final years? What's what's the end result for Gaza? Division? Well, I've stockpiled most of my wealth. Um, I've, I've put aside a lot of my, uh, my tournament um, earnings. And... Um, I've put them all into Bitcoin, um, and I think uh, I think that that's going to really pay off um, long term. Um, it was worth uh, about five times uh, what it is today, about a year ago. Mm-hmm. So that would have been nice to to cash out then. Um, but you know, seeing as I've only got a couple years left, I, I don't need as much money as as I as you might think. Thank you so much for coming in, and uh, keep thrashing. Appreciate it, brother. Hope to. Uh, See you in the park sometime soon. Gaza DeVitt, around the world in Skaty Days, a skating travel blog. Coming up next week on the sidebar, Gary Clark Sr. What does he play and where is he? I'm Sebastian Morales, saying see you next time.